Oh, hey, it's you again. Welcome back to Getting It Out Podcast. Whether you're a frequent listener or even just a first timer, I want to thank you for clicking on the episode. I know there's a lot of options, a lot of podcasts to pick through and listen to. And this time you chose Getting It Out. If you like what you hear on this episode or maybe what you've heard in the past, I want to ask you to consider joining the gettingitout.net Patreon, where you'll get early ad-free access to interviews, sometimes weeks before they air. It only costs $2 a month, and hey, once you set it up, it's like making beef jerky in the 90s. You set it, and you forget it. You'll get email updates each time I post an episode exclusive to the Patreon. And though the cost is low for you, your support makes a huge impact on what I can continue to do with gettingitout.net and Getting It Out podcast. If you're interested, check the link in the show notes or head over to patreon.com slash gettingitoutpodcast. Thanks for hearing me out, and enjoy this episode of the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 231 of Getting It Out podcast. That was Castrator with Inquisition Sins. That's off of their new album, Defiled in Oblivion, which we'll see release July 22nd. That's this Friday on Dark Descent Record. You can order this at a variety of places right now, but I would suggest just going to get it from Dark Descent Records. Uh, the song, like I said, Inquisition Sins, is uh, it's got lyrics basically about the Catholic Church and witches and all that jazz. And there's a big time theme going on with Castrator with the album artwork and the name and the lyrical themes. And uh, if you can't figure it out, you're an idiot. So uh, go check it out and dive deep into this record. It's very cool. Again, Defiled in Oblivion out this Friday, July 22nd on Dark Descent Records. Side note, that song that you just heard features a guest guitar solo from obituaries Kenny Andrews. So if you like that, there's plenty more like it on this album, including a Venom cover. So go check that out. Ten songs coming at you this week. Speaking of other things that are coming at you this week, this episode of Getting It Out Podcast is coming at you right now with an interview that might just be a whole bunch of shit talk, but it still exists and I'm still bringing it to you. It's Cam Lee of Massacre, and we're talking about all sorts of stuff, but mostly the new EP, Mythos? You'll find out. Chicky! Make family and a friend! Make friends and an enemy! Peace to my family! Make friends till they bury me! All the places we've been! We're never sitting it out! We be getting it in! Where you getting it out? I said all the places we've been! We're never sitting it out! We be getting it in! Where you getting it out? So here we are, another episode of the podcast. Another prime day has passed. I hope you got your retail therapy in. I'm not going to tell you whether or not we did here at my household, but I think you know. I'm not sure what the next holiday is, but I'm sure Black Friday is right around the corner, or maybe some version of a record store day. Who knows? I can't keep up with these Hallmark holidays. Is that what they call them? I don't know. It's all about buying shit, right? Speaking of buying shit, I had to buy a tow truck driver. What? How do I say that? Let me try that again. I'm not going to edit this out. I had to buy a tow from a tow truck driver the other night. It broke down, ended up on the side of the highway. 222 in Pennsylvania, if you're familiar. Right after I got off the turnpike, car broke down, serpentine belt snapped. And uh, fortunately, I knew what it was, so I stopped driving before my car exploded, which it wouldn't do, but it would break for good if I let it overheat. That way, blown head gaskets, all that bent stuff, whatever. I don't know. I don't really know what I'm saying. There are very few things I know how to fix on a car, but that is one of them. And I did that. But anyway, I got the car towed. And I had my wife pick me up, and I was back here by the time the car showed up. So I talked to the guy on the phone. He was very helpful. Uh, he said I could leave my keys under the mat, I left on the side of the highway, blah, blah, blah. That's what we did. He came, he dropped it off. The same night, there was a bigger, bigger accident on the same road going the other direction. A fatality. So they had the roads shut down so they could do what coroners do, the investigation, all that jazz. And uh was chatting it up with him. And he was like lingering for a long time. Hey, you know, I'm sure he was being friendly, but at the same time, I'm thinking this guy probably wants a tip. Here's a problem. I get in this problem a lot of times these days where I don't carry cash on me ever. Never. All right. I paid for that uh, for that tow over the phone with a credit card 
And uh, I don't have any money to tip this tow truck driver. I'm not sure that I should have to if I just spent nearly $200 on him to bring it 15 minutes down the road. You know, so uh, I don't know. You tell me, though. Are we supposed to tip tow truck drivers? Are you a tow truck driver yourself? If you are, tell me. What is the proper etiquette? Don't worry. It's not going to change anything or the way I do things. But I'm now I'm just totally interested. Should I have tipped this man? And... Uh, why? Why? What? What is in the cost then? Like, isn't that what I'm paying him for? Like, it didn't. He didn't use anything other than his time to bring my car to my house. It's not like he had to use uh, materials other than gasoline. He can use the same tow straps and all that. It was a roll off. You know, it's. I just don't understand what I would be tipping for if I'm supposed to tip. So, if I was supposed to tip, I need you to tell me. Speaking of tips, this has nothing to do with tips, but this episode. Features an interview with Cam Lee of Massacre. Yes, Cam was in other bands. One, the most notable, of course, being Death. And uh, we talk about that because we couldn't not talk about that. But we also talk about a lot more things, including the new EP Mythos out now on Nuclear Blast Records, which recently followed up Resurgence, which was a full LP on Nuclear Blast Records. We talk about all that. We talk for a while. And we talk... A lot of shit. I shouldn't say we. I should say he. He talks a lot of shit. And sometimes it's a little awkward. And that's okay. I don't mind it. I don't mind putting it out there either. I don't mind sharing with you what Cam and I talked about. And that's what this episode is going to be. So, without further ado, let's play the interview. But first, I'm going to play you a song off the Mythos EP. It's called Behind the Serpent's Curse. Check it out. Party 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not Tampa, Florida. What is that about? Why does the massacre Instagram say not Tampa, Florida? Um, because actually none of us are from Tampa now. <laughs> none of us live in Tampa. Um, I, I haven't lived in Tampa since 1987. Uh, Where are you at now? Um, I actually live pretty much, you can say Daytona Beach. I live close to Daytona Beach. I'm like 20 minutes away from Daytona Beach. Nice, nice. So still Florida, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, you have been doing death metal for like my entire life right okay. i'm about to be 38 and uh you've been doing it like the whole time i've been alive so uh what the hell man why are you still doing this what's keeping you around uh i, I guess what I, what i always say is when it's no longer fun um yeah. is when i get out of i was out of it for 10 years believe it or not you know i was absent from it for 10 years uh in 93 or uh, 94, I guess you could say, during that awful Promise album. <laughs> I uh, I quit during the post-production of it because I, I thought, man, this is horrible. And I, I was, I'll basically say it, I really didn't know where Death Metal was going. And uh, I really wasn't in control of the band at the time. And, uh, you know, um, someone else was in control of the band. And I was like, if this is where Death Metal is going, if this is what it's becoming, I don't want any part of it. And I left. <laughs> I was out of it for a decade. I was gone. I mean, I, I got out in 93 and I was literally out of it probably un, until uh, early 2000. You know, and I, I just I just left it behind. And I just went back to listen to old hardcore punk and, and, and you know, grindcore. And and then during the 90s is when the, the whole black metal thing was coming in the early stuff. So I was I was listening yeah. kind of to that kind of stuff and uh, really just kind of not even bothered with death metal at all. Totally kind of just ignored it because I really thought it was just becoming just, you know, trendy and bubblegum pop. And I, I didn't know what was happening to it. So, uh, you know, I came back into it and then I found out there's kind of like uh, there was still underground stuff still there, you know, especially in Europe. And a lot of the guys I was reaching out to were over in Europe. And I was like, this stuff is really still that popular. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, it's still it's still there. And I kind of just, you know, got integrated back into it in that kind of way. How did you get involved in this to begin with anyway? How did you find extreme music and what was going on at the time that you did? Um, it was, you got to think this is 80, 83, pretty much. Right. I want to go back to yeah. 1983. Um, yeah. 1983, I, I was like this, you know, little skate punk kid uh, from, you know, South Florida, Miami. Um, my parents, you know, the typical story, you know, parents divorce, uh, 
you know, went and lived with my dad for the first year. Uh, dad was like real cool. You didn't have to go to school. My mom found out I wasn't in school for a whole year, freaked out, you know, did the whole like, you know, oh, no, he's got to go to school. He's got to come live with me. You know, basically kidnapped me. I didn't want to go live with my mom, but got forced to go live with my mom. And my mom had moved. Uh, she got remarried and moved up to Central Florida. And this is 1983. So Central Florida at the time, I mean, this is the sticks. This is yeah. literally like I'm I'm a city kid growing up in, in Miami and I come up to this place. It's like it's Hicksville. And I'm like, there's not even streets to like skate on. And I'm like, there's dirt roads. And, and like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, what the hell, man? I can't. So I kind of like uh, when I was in, in Miami, I was growing up. I was kind of like uh, introduced to a lot of the hardcore punk at the time. So like mm-hmm. anything from Dead Kennedys, the Sex Pistols, uh, GBH. Um, I got really into like uh, a lot of the stuff that was like discharge, a lot of the D beat stuff that was coming out at the time. Yeah. And uh, so this is what I was kind of gravitating towards um, as far as, cause you know, I'm a skate punk. So I was getting exposed to it from the skaters. And then I move up to heat to central Florida and like, I meet some punks, but they're not like gutter punks. They're like the new wave punks. So <laughs> like I wanted to be in a punk band and I, I was playing drums at the time and I was, I'm a big misfits fan, uh, yeah. big misfits, Sam Hain, that kind of stuff. So I try to get with these punk guys and, and start a band called invaders from hell cheesy name, but I mean, we're, you know, I was 14 years old. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, I remember they wanted to play stuff like the police and missing persons and, and uh, you know, whatever was like the popular eighties new wave stuff, which is, it's cool. Now I go back and let's do it now. It's cool. But back then it was right. like, what is this man? I don't want to play this. And I, I kind of like started tape trading. It used to, it used to be this punk fanzines that came out. It was actually started with punk before they got metal. And then there was like a couple metal fanzines, but this is early 80s. So um, the tape trading thing got in. You could like go into the back of the fanzine and there was other people that wanted the tape trade and they have right. their addresses and their name. And they say, hey, you know, get in contact with me if you want. And I started tape trading. That's literally how it started for me. I started tape trading with some people in New York and started tra- tape trading and, and, and corresponding with people. And uh, it started off with like, you know, people would have like a, they would only play this stuff on like college radio and they would play it out for an hour between like midnight and one in the morning. (laughs) And tape traders started just recording that hour because all Mm -hmm. these punk uh, and metal like shows would happen in between this one hour time. And the DJs during a time, because it was college radio, they would just play whatever demos they could get, whatever, you know, early stuff they could get and just kind of compile it all together. And so a lot of the tape trading that I was getting was, was a lot of these one hour shows was just a bunch of different demos and or other people tape. And I started off with punk stuff. And then the, one of the guys in New York that I was trading with would slowly start integrating metal <laughs> into it. So I started listening to stuff like um, Ra- uh, Raven out of yeah. Canada. And right. then there was like uh, Exciter out of Canada. And um, yeah, he introduced me to a lot of Canadian bands at first. Yeah. And what's then- next? Razor? <laughs> yeah. And, and then I think it was Razor. Actually, I think it was. Yeah. And then Riot. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the stuff. And then, you know, German stuff like Accept. I mean, the first time I heard Fast as a Shark, it blew my mind. I was like, oh, yeah. That's- what is double bass? I mean, we didn't know what it was back then. <laughs> and we hear Fast as a Shark comes in and it's all of a sudden you have this double bass. And, and it was like that. It was integrating me slowly like, hey, man, I got some punk stuff. But here, check out this metal. So then it started becoming like the A side of the tape was punk. And the B side was metal. And then I remember 
the first time hearing uh, nuns have no fun from merciful fate. Right. And it just was the most awesome thing. I thought <laughs> the, the lyrics were great. And then uh, I was a big plasmatics fan as well right. being, I still am to this, to this day. Um, and uh, I went, I went started going to the record store, the record shop, the local record shop. And back then, you know, you how you shopped for records as you looked at the covers <laughs> and i remember yeah, that's like yeah. you know you just go through and you're kind of like just scrolling through looking at the cover look at the cover art and i remember i specifically went to the record store to pick up metal priestess which is a plasmatics ep yeah and i was going through the going through the records and i ended up in the v's and i had the plasmatics with me i had it in my hand and i got to the v's and i came across the venom cover Actually, it was uh, Welcome to Hell. Welcome and to I was hell, like, yeah. first off, this is an ugly ass cover. It's brown and gold. And I was like, God, this is ugly, but it's cool. It's got this, you know, Baphomet goat on it. But what got me was I turned it over and there's this picture of, the, of Venom, you know, and I remember they're on the beach, I think. And like, it's a black and white photo and Cronus, it's either Cronus or Manus has got like an axe and they're all standing there on the beach. Yeah. And I was like... All right, that's cool. I got to check this out. I, and plus the song titles, you know, when I saw it, read the read. So I put the plasmatics back, believe it or not. And I brought the I bought the Venom. Welcome to hell. And that just opened a whole new world. I mean, that, that was like that. And I think destruction, um, sentence of death. That was another thing I bought because the guys on the cover, like, like these yeah, guys yeah. with all these metal, you know, these bullet belts and this leather and uh, and then Sodom. In the sign of evil, that was, you know, it was like all started integrating, like just me basically going to the record store and picking up records and just trying them out. And then, you know, I also met Freddie Frederick at in school. He was in my art class and he uh, we started hanging out and he introduced me to stuff like Anvil and Motorhead and and bands like that. And it literally just kind of like starts in school, you know, high school, just meeting yeah. people that that listen to metal and kind of getting introduced to it. And here I was trying to introduce people to punk like, hey, man, you've heard of the Misfits? Check out Danzig's new band, Sam Hain or Saw Wayne back then before he broke off in the because I was a big Saw Wayne fan. Huge man. When he did that, I was like, ah, this is great. This is what I exactly what I wanted. It's all Halloween and everything. As you could tell from behind me, like I'm big into well, horror. So. Well, random, random Cam Lee fact. Isn't Halloween your birthday, too? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned all like all, almost all of those bands you mentioned. If they're not dead, they're still playing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so like it's it's wild that you've been doing it for this long, but they've been doing it. I mean, you brought, you brought up a. Except uh, I talked to Udo recently for one of these, and the fact that that guy is still going, that's 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 insane. But <laughs> I know we were. I just I just wanted to tell you this was this was so surreal. I'm still thinking about this, and I feel like such a heel. We played in Georgia uh, just last year, you know, just in November, and we went up there and we played uh, this fest. And Exciter was there, yeah. and I'm looking across the the green room at Dan Beeler. And I became like the biggest fanboy, and I didn't know what to say to him. I was like, I just like froze up. I'm like, that's fucking Dan Beeler. That's the reason I like started playing drums and singing right there. And I couldn't speak to him. I, I like totally like turned into like this little kid again. And I was like, and then Dan Lilkler came in, and I I like started talking to Dan Lilkler. I said, Hey man, I don't mean to be a fanboy, but man, <laughs> that's Dan Lilkler and Dan Beeler sitting in the same room. He's like, "Oh man, be cool, man. It's cool, you know. Just be a fanboy if you want." I'm like, "Okay, but I still feel I didn't know what to say. I like dumbstruck. Yeah. Like yeah. it's Dan Beeler and Dan Lilkler. 
right in front of me. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy from SOD and the guy from Exciter, like right, right there. Yeah. And I just, I literally turned into a fanboy. So it happens. It still happens. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it happens to me on here. You know, I, I totally get it. But, <laughs> but um, so, so do early um, Mantis stuff, which turns into right. death and all that. And uh, you're a part of that whole world and that whole, I guess the beginning of that Florida death metal scene. So you really had a firsthand um, seat for all this and we're a player in it. Right. 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 I was going to say, and there's a lot of, uh, there's, it always comes up. There's a lot of talk about how, what, how things really went down then. And I feel like it probably comes up in everything you talk, every interview you do, uh, because yeah. you're one of the few people still around that would, that can able, we can really comment on it and, uh, say where the scene all actually came from. So from your vantage point, from your perspective, where did that Florida death metal sound come from? Really? I mean, I, I recently said something and then Blabbermouth blew it up and to completely, you know, they they just wanted to Amber heard it. Uh, I guess Amber heard it. Johnny, they want to sensationalize it. And then, you know, Frederick got on and wanted to sensationalize it a little bit more. But, uh, you know, I, and I'm not you know, I'm not talking about the guy. Good luck playing covers. That's all I'm going to say to him. Good luck, man. Good luck playing covers. Um, but uh, uh, um, let me just put it to you this way. I didn't. I said something to, to like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, no, you don't got uh, really I'm not going to censor myself. Yeah. I'm not going to censor <laughs> myself, but I, I, I would have no problem. Somebody said, come up to me and say, Hey man, you totally ripped off Tom G warrior. If you said ripped off, I ripped off. I'm going to agree with you. 100%. Yes, I did. I took the hay from Tom G warrior. I'm sorry. I did. I'm going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I did. No, so when some. I, when I took the term, when I said the term Chuck ripped off Jeff, Basira from Possessed. A lot right. of people got mad <laughs> and they said, oh, man, how can you say it? I didn't mean it like he actually stole something like ripped. I ripped off, I guess, is the bad terminology. I should have said he was heavily influenced. If we're going to like, you know, yeah. argue yeah. semantics and argue <laughs> words. All right. I shouldn't have said ripped off. OK, he was heavily influenced. Now, how it came about was, at least from my perspective, you know, there was us, you know, there was Mantis and then Def. I mean, geez, man, we we're Mantis for two months, really. I mean, right, it, right. honestly, we were Mantis for two months. So you might as well just say Death. So we were Death, but at the same time, we were Death in Altamont Springs, Florida, because that's literally where their Chuck's house is, is located. You know, that's like Orlando. And it's actually kind of north of Orlando. Over on the, the West Coast in Tampa, you got guys starting off with Nasty Savage. Literally, was Nasty Savage kind of like, you know, exploded the underground. And right. then out of Nasty Savage, there was Sabotage. Those are the two bands that really, like, came out of that Tampa scene and just mm -hmm. exploded. And then, you know, Morbid Angel was there. Trey and, and Mike Browning, those guys, you know, the, the first original Morbid Angel before David Vincent, before all that. Right. They were doing their thing. Um so Is that when was 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 Mike drumming and singing back then? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, you have you have, you know, you got over there. You got more of an angel over on in Orlando. You got us. And even down in South Florida, you have Pat and Hellwitch. I mean, I mean, it was happening all over the place. But like I said, a lot of us were tape trading at the same time. <laughs> you had, you know, Paul was in Chicago with Death Strike, I remember specifically a time when 
Chuck and I rode around in his car and listened to the Death Strike demo, you know, you know, because we had tape traded. So we were listening to, you know, pre, you know, prior master. It was Death Strike uh, and uh, you, and Killjoy. You know, I, I will always, always stand up and say, though, know, Killjoy was one of the first. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, if, if you really look at Necrophasia in 1983, they were coming out at the same time that we were, you know, we were doing right. it. So um, it was there was like little pockets all over the all over the United States. You know, you know, uh, New York, you know, you had uh, Overkill was still kind of like just putting their demo out. You know, they hadn't even gotten signed yet. But, you know, you Overkill, you had slayer of course everybody you right. know on the in the west coast was a big influence um but for 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 death itself for us uh it started off as a venom you know when we were manis we were totally a venom clone band that's where the name came from right. um <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh you know we we're we we're just like learning venom you know tunes and then playing the early stuff early first songs that we played was very venom like and then chuck really elevated that he came in and you know elevated it because rick and i had started playing together first for a couple of times just practicing and we were learning like teacher's pet and stuff off of black metal because black metal had just come out and mm -hmm. we're learning uh you know in league with satan and songs like that just as cover songs and then uh you know when we got together with chuck chuck was introducing us to i mean we literally heard slayer for the first time at chuck's house we sat down and Chuck bought Show No Mercy in the mail from Metal Blade and it came in the mail. And we all sat there together and listened to it. And we were like, this is what we need to be. Yeah. And then uh, after that, you know, we wrote songs like Evil Dead and and, uh, you know, because you can kind of tell like when it, it kind of transitions from sort of like the the venom s if you go back and listen to to the mantis stuff the first stuff we had was a song called mantis and demons flight and stuff like that a very venom sounding stuff and then mm -hmm. legion of doom was really slow and kind of doomy but then when you get to evil dead even death my metal is kind of like a cross between like it has a very kind of uh you you know raven kind of like style and it doesn't sound like a typical death metal song it didn't really get to becoming signature death metal until uh chuck really honed it in uh when we did the reign of terror demo um chuck had uh started writing uh power of darkness and he started adding riffs to to expand the songs um that rick was writing rick was you know rick was kind of like a one-trick pony you know he has his style and, and that's it and then uh, chuck was elevating it by adding more intricate kind of uh stuff into it that wasn't just all double picking you know chuck was actually trying to you know do scales and try to you know play notes and stuff like and be more melodic even back then and like the best way that you can really hear a transition is the pretty much the last demos that i was on with chuck was the infernal death demo which had three songs infernal death archangel and baptizing blood all those songs chuck wrote and you can really tell a transitional difference between the Reign of Terror and the early stuff to when Chuck really honed it in. And then Rigor Mortis was the last song that I actually played. And Rigor Mortis is really a phenomenal song. It's, it's, I wish Chuck had, re, you know, actually had played that song, redone that, you know, redo that song. Yeah. And uh, that really honed in. That was Chuck at, at his, I think, one of his best, really, was mm -hmm. when he played Rigor Mortis. So, well, you could def definitely tell a difference.
I don't know. Is it annoying to you to always end up talking about that stuff when when you've done so much other stuff? To always... I mean, I, under- I understand everyone's always interested in it. Interested, and because, yeah. I mean, like, it, it yeah, and, asked, and it's right? the beginning, and a lot yeah. of people weren't there. And then, of course, you know, there's also the the negative side of it. You've got the you've got the you know the sides of it where you know um, it, it got kind of like and still you're going to have people that that lie <laughs> that are going to lie about it. I mean, I've had people. So many people say, "Man, you should write a book. You should do a doc." First, I'm not going to write a book. Everyone's written a book. No one reads a book. Every few, few people read a book. I got the Celtic Cross book. I, I think I read the first three pages. I never read the rest of it. I'm I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. I mean, no one's going to read a book. I, I think even even. Uh, Paul Speckman, you know, he wrote a book. Did anybody read it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do a book. If I do anything, it's going to be a documentary. But then again, you know, we live in a we live in a world now where people it's like 30 seconds. So I think I'll yeah, break the yeah. documentary up into 30 second videos <laughs> on Instagram. And maybe that's how we'll get it done. That's the way to do it. If you do 15 seconds a piece, you can get them in the stories. And then, mm-hmm. you know, one, one a day, 15 seconds a day. But, but anyway, I, I appreciate you. Um, um, engaging with me on that stuff though because like you said i am i'm just interested in, uh, you know even though i've i've heard the stories you still want to hear it right from the mouths of the people that were there. i know and then you so, know there's like i said there's stories that have been that have been you know exact either exaggerated or lied about like right, you know right. it's still on there i mean i'm not going to argue everyone always says oh well it's on wikipedia it's got to be true you know like <laughs> uh chuck you know created the death logo Okay, he's never drawn anything in his life, but I'm an artist. I actually drew the death logo. I created the death logo. You know what Chuck did? Chuck traced the death logo. <laughs> he traced it after I drew it. I created the original death logo, but I don't get any credit for it. No, but, you know, it's the most recognized logo in metal today, but. No, yeah, it, probably, yeah, it might be. <laughs> yeah. It very well might be. <laughs> but when do you, when you get a, what, what's, how much time is there between death and massacre? Uh, not very much, actually. Um, I left in 85. Uh, mm. Chuck and I, you know, had an argument over Apple Jacks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's part of a joke. I mean, it's been a long running joke, but it's actually a true story. I was living with Chuck and uh, I came out one morning and Chuck's mom offered me a bowl of Apple Jacks. Chuck hadn't got up yet. And I said, sure, you know, thank you. Thank you. And I sat down and was eating the Apple Jacks. He got up and it was the last bowl of Apple Jacks and he flipped. He flipped out. He completely flipped out on me and he kicked me out of the house. He completely kicked me out of the house. He didn't kick me out of the band yet. That seems reasonable yeah, to me. I mean, I used he kicked to love me out Apple of the You know, so yeah, I've got a long running joke about Apple Jacks. Anyways, <laughs> it was about a week later, within a week or something, you know, and uh, after I always say it was probably the Apple Jacks was probably the icing, you know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it it escalated to other stuff. I started teasing him about a girl, and this is the truth. This is really the truth. I mean, it's stupid. We were kids, we we're like 16 years old, 16, 17 years old, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's stupid teenage stuff. I started teasing him about a girl. And I, 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 I'm sarcastic. I still am to this day. I'm a sarcastic bastard. And I know what I said. I said, Hey man, you know, it's a chance to, you know, lose your virginity. You know, I was just fucking with him and he blew up, man. He lost it. And, uh, he kicked me out of the band. Then he's like, he get, get out of my yard, get out of my property, you know? And that was it. That was it. And I had, I, I was like, okay, fine. You know, I left and, uh, I got my mom's van the next day, went back, got picked up my drum set. He didn't even come out of the room as his, his sister opened the door, let me in to get my drum set. 
got my drum set. And I hadn't, and that was it. I hadn't seen him after that for years, years and years later. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. it was stupid, stupid <laughs> stuff, you know, <laughs> stupid high school, you know, drama stuff, which is really ridiculous. And it's kind of sad, but you know, I will say I would go on record saying, I wish that Chuck had lived and I wish that there was times we could have got reconciled and got back together. Cause I really think even if we didn't work in a band together, I would have loved to have done something on the side with it, you know, a project right, or something. Right. Well, that's cool. And that's cool to hear. Um, and it's, it's also, it's, I like you sharing those stories because it's interesting to hear how one of the biggest bands or the biggest band from a genre really does have the same beginnings as everybody else's bullshit high school band mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. breaking up over girls and Apple Jacks, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so being a smart well, shortly, ass. I'm a smart yeah. ass. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, shortly after that, you start, you start massacre and that's in, what's that late, late eighties, right? Or yeah, 85. actually it's, it, 85. it's 85. So it was the summer of 85 that Chuck, you know, kicked me out of his house, told me to get out of the yard. And then uh, I was really living with Chuck. I didn't have any place to live. I was literally living at Chuck's house. Um, so uh, after that, I had no place to go and I wasn't about to go back home. Um, so uh, I ended up my aunt and uncle lived in Tampa and I ended up going to live with them. Actually, Brandon, it's it's part, it's a suburb of Tampa. It's not truly Tampa. And I ended up moving there to live with them. And I think I was there maybe about a week or so. And I met Alan West. Um, I actually met Alan West at a convenience store. Alan West was coming in to buy beer <laughs> and he was under age. <laughs> and uh, I-, I was working in the convenience store at the time and uh, I sold him beer. And I, you know, he recognized me and we got to talking and he's like, hey, I got this band. I'd like you to come check us out. And I'm like, sure, no problem. Um, ironic thing was. It, it was a recruiting. <laughs> he was recruiting me. I, I had little, I didn't know it at the time, but the yeah. funny thing was uh, he gave me the, the, the address. He told me where it was. It was Billy's house, Billy Andrew's house. And uh, I, I, I got the address and, and, and it was on a piece of paper. You know, this was way before, you know, map quest and all this stuff <laughs> is when you like holding a piece of paper and you're trying to find, you're just, it's all hand-drawn <laughs> and right. you're like, okay, there's right, this right. street here. And then you go down here. And then, okay. So that's what I was doing. And I only had a skateboard. I didn't have a car. So I'm skateboarding all these back streets, you know, through Brandon, which is literally Hicksville. And I'm skateboarding, looking at this map, trying to figure out how to get to this kid's house. It took me two hours because I got lost and I finally ended up getting there and Alan never showed up. (laughs) It was one of those things. I was supposed to meet Alan. So I meet Mike Borders and Billy Andrews for the first time. And uh, they knew who I was because death had played um, in Tampa uh, in 1985 for new year's Eve opening for nasty savage. And they were at that show. So they knew who I was. And, uh, so they were all excited. They invited me in and, uh, I kind of got the feeling when I went in because, you know, it's just the drummer and the bassist, but they were talking to me that, Oh, they're, they're trying to recruit me. I I already had the feeling like back then, okay. They're asking me, they want, so they're telling me, yeah, we got this singer, but we're not happy with him. And, you know, we're, we're currently right now like a thrash cover band. We're playing anthrax covers and we're doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. But we, we really like to be more like how you and d- were in death. And I said, OK, what songs do you guys know? And uh, they said oh, they started going down a list of songs. And uh, they said, well, we know Piranha from Exodus. And I was like, OK, 
I said, let me hear you play that. And they kind of auditioned by playing that. It was just drums and bass. And they still went through it and played Piranha. And uh, I was really impressed. And they said, well, what do you think about coming back? You know, hopefully Alan will show up next time. And I think it was a couple of days later. I think I was on a Friday and I ended up coming back on a Sunday. And then it was the whole band. And they played through uh, a couple of songs. Uh, again, they played through uh, Piranha from Exodus and uh, a couple other songs. And, and they didn't have a PA. And I just basically said, well, let me try to just scream the vocals uh, to Piranha. And uh, we did that and went through that. And they really liked it. And I, it, all, it just felt really good. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll join. You know, I, I kind of figured by that time that's what they wanted. So I was like, yeah, I, I'll do this. This is fun. And it's kind of like how it happened. And it was just literally a couple months after our, after Chuck kicked me out of death. All right. So it was a quick, quick turnover. And then when, mm-hmm. when does, uh, when do you guys first put out recorded stuff as Massacre? Uh, okay. So since this was like December of 85, uh, we started working right away. I started actually hanging out with, with Alan S after that um, and kind of going to his house and hanging out. And uh, they had already started working on some originals. They had one original. It's actually the three songs that end up on the very first Massacre demo. Uh, Death and Hell was some, a song that they already had done completely. Um, and it had lyrics from their other vocalists. And I just kind of went back in and kind of took over and rewrote the lyrics. They had a, the song Aggressive Tyrant already musically worked out, but they didn't have any lyrics for it. And then this first song that we actually sat down and worked out together that I actually sat with Alan in his room on his guitar and worked out was mutilated. The song mutilated uh, is what we worked out. And I'm a big horror movie fan. So yeah. a lot of my, my, my lyrics were very horror based. So mutilated was based on a nightmare on Elm street that had just come out the year before. Mm-hmm. And I was really like blown away by that. And uh, aggressive tyrant is totally based on the omen. So um, mm-hmm. total, horror movie lyrics, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, Death and Hell, like I said, that was a song they already written. So I kind of like had to go back in and kind of like fix the, the lyrics on that one. But what really honed me in was I didn't want to, I knew that Killjoy was writing, uh, you know, lyrics based on horror movies. And uh, I, I was like, I don't want to copy what Killjoy's doing. And right. when we started writing our own stuff, I was reading a lot of Stephen King, Clive Barker and H.P. Lovecraft and H.P. Lovecraft just appealed to me the most. And I said, wow, this is some stuff that I could totally write about. And it's just so out there and so different um, and so cosmic. The whole cosmic horror thing is what really pulled me into it, uh, that I think it's going to be different. And that's literally how the early massacre stuff was is very Lovecraft. Yeah, I've seen that. Well, I've heard you mention that before, and you can obviously see it in the artwork and hear it in the in the lyrics. Um, from beyond, it was from beyond, right? That right. comes in in ninety one, and mm-hmm. uh, followed pretty closely by Inhuman Condition, and both what I what I think most people consider death metal classics. But what I found interesting is that. You just released Resurgence and you quickly followed it up with an EP, this EP that you just put out, Mythos. Mythos. Is there is there any uh is there supposed is that supposed to pair up? Is that supposed to make sense in a way? Actually it is. <laughs> I I uh if you after inhuman condition, you know, you have to think, you know, from beyond in human condition. Mm-hmm. I even though I appeared on promise, I wasn't like I, I wasn't happy to appear on promise. I didn't really want right. to do any uh I had quit after 
in 92. I quit after Inhuman, Dish- Inhuman Condition came out. We went on tour for it. I actually quit. I was asked to come back in 93. Wasn't, you know, just for that brief time to do Promise. So mm-hmm. for me, Massacre ended with the Inhuman Condition EP. Um, I think for a lot so, of people it did. Not, not, yeah, even, any- not, even, not even talking shit. I just think, that, I mean, that's what I know. I know those two records and then yeah. the stuff later. I mean, yeah. there, then, you know, you had, you know, the 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 many years of like whatever right. um like i came back like i said for in 93 left in 94 during the post-production and i didn't come back for a long time the band just whatever i, I didn't you know i was out i was gone i wasn't in control of the band by that time i hadn't been in a control really i wouldn't say control but i didn't really feel that i had any say in the band even going as far back as the from beyond I had I felt like I had more say when we were a demo band, but when it literally became a signed band, I really had no say at all. It was a most very uncomfortable feeling, especially because, you know, I I, I can say this now. I mean, 2022, I felt very pressured because I felt like, hey, you're the little yellow kid. You're the little tan boy. Don't say nothing. You know, we're the white guys. We know what we're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. I was treated that way. And I felt like that. And it put me in a it put me in a part where I was like, well, fuck, you know, and and there was stuff said to me like, you know, that was racial, but not directly racial, but made me feel like, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. just 100 years ago, your people were living in fucking you know, grass shack. So you have no idea what you're talking about. It literally, this kind of stuff was being said to me. And I was like, fuck, you know, that's kind of fucked up. So I didn't like, you know, felt like that anything in that era of, of massacre from the time it was signed all through all this time that I was really in control of it. Hmm. Again, I left in 93, you know, and it took them still two more years to get that album out in 96. They had somebody come in and finish it up. Um, then I don't know what happened to the band in 2007. I did a small tour because I was in the band denial fiend at the time. And, uh, I actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of this. I I have, I have a kid and I was behind in arrears and child support (laughs) and they took my passport away. That's what the United States does. If you're in arrears of, of, of any child support, they're gonna take your passport away. So we couldn't tour. (coughs) Suddenly we had a tour. In Europe, and all of a sudden, we were told, "No, uh, your singer can't go." You know, we revoked his passport. So it was a plan, basically, for the promoter. And Terry Butler came up with an idea to, "Oh, well, if we do it as Massacre, we can get enough money to front that you can get pay off your arrears, and we can get your passport yeah. back." Truth was, I did that entire tour free. I didn't make any money, zero. <laughs> I made zero money. I didn't take anything. The other guys were making money. And I said, okay, I understand. They paid, you know, my child support so I could get my passport. They cha- they paid it up. In a way, that's like getting paid. Yeah. So, yeah. but what <laughs> but here's what happened. After the original tour, which ended in the Vakenfest in 19 or 2008, the Vakenfest was supposed to be the last show. They kept pushing for more shows. And I was like, okay, cool. Am I going to get paid? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I did the math. See, I'm Asian. So, you know, we're pretty good at math. And I did the math. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute. I'm already caught up, you know, where 
what you guys paid. And you're yeah. telling me we're supposed to go on for another 30 days and not get paid. Fuck you. <laughs> and this is literally what happened. I was like, fuck you. And I quit. And then because of that, there was a fallback with me being out of denial fiend as well. So Terry Terrence basically came up to me and he said, well, if you're not going to do it, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Not for free. Um, and I, I got mad and I said, look, if you want to keep doing massacre, why don't you go find Rick? And that's what he did. And that's what happened with that version of between 2010 and 2014, whatever happened there. But here's the funny thing. I wasn't involved in that band during that time. I wasn't involved. Didn't was doing my own thing, had my own bands going on. I wasn't involved and it still failed. <laughs> Yet they're always telling me, they're always saying in, in magazines, everything that I'm the one that caused massacre to fail. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> You're, I wasn't involved from 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, five years that that band existed. I wasn't involved and it still failed. <laughs> yet you blame me. <laughs> I well, don't know. Well, if there's been such bad luck with Massacre, why did why are you doing Massacre again? Like, why? Why did you get it back together to do Resurgence and, and this and Mythos? Because because. I decided when I came back this last time, which is 2017. Yeah. I came back. Um, by this time, I was smarter, a lot smarter. <laughs> I'd been doing other bands and I had my own lawyer by this time. And uh, I, I got really smart and I came back and, uh, you know, Rick, Rick had actually asked me to come back. And uh, we had a meeting, we had a talk, we had a sit down and I came back. Uh, actually, Rick's, bass player at the time, Michael Grimm, who I'm still friends with to this day, Michael Grimm, they were, they were in a band called the end. And Michael Grimm reached out to me and said, Hey, we're going to play some massacre songs. Would you like coming in and singing on, on the stage? I said, yeah, before I do that, I need to sit down with Rick. Cause I knew Rick talked a bunch of crap about me. <laughs> so, you know, it went, it went the typical way that it was, it would, you know, you figured it would go. We met somewhere, had her sit down. He wouldn't look me in the eye, wouldn't apologize, but just said, this is what I got, you know, typical, Frederick's, you know, typical, you know, schmear, you know, what he, yeah. he likes to tell you about. So he's going on and I, I said, OK, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. So we did it and it was fun. It literally was fun. So I had fun doing it and they asked me if I'd like to come back. So I came back, started rehearsing with them. Um, and then Blabbermouth got involved. <laughs> well, Frederick liked to he likes to like get up and, you know, be the whole social media whore. So he got out there and then uh, Blabbermouth put a thing out that, uh, okay, Massacre's back together. And he took a picture on the phone. It was like, we were just having fun and took a picture on the phone. And then I guess Terrence got wind of it. This is so funny because it's like, this is like bullshit. <laughs> it's like, you see how it all works out. Terrence got a hold of it on the Blabbermouth thing, said, no, they can't go out as Massacre. We own the trademark. Uh, I said, okay, fine. We'll just change the name. And we went through the name wars thing. But in the meantime, I was like, you know, I have a lawyer. Let me have my lawyer look into it. I didn't tell anybody. I just called up my lawyer, actually emailed my lawyer the next day. I said, hey, could you check into this? So my lawyer gets back in touch with me four days later and says, oh, they registered for the name two days after you made the announcement, <laughs> but they don't own the name. I said, really? I said, OK, well, do your lawyer thing. You know, I'll pay you. And let's register. Let me register for the name. And I kept my mouth shut for a whole year because that's how long it takes. It doesn't you can't just like right. like like tomorrow. You can't just say, hey, you know what? 
I like the word purple. I'm going to trademark the word purple. You just can't go and just like pay some money and get the trademark. It actually has to go through a whole bunch of stuff. It has to be, right. it has to go through like a lot of stuff where it has to be contested. It has to go before the courts. It has to be, you know, it has to be looked at. You have to prove that you're going to use the name in commerce. You have to, there's all this kind of stuff that has to be done. It literally takes a year to do. <laughs> so I kept my mouth shut and let my lawyer do his thing. And then finally, uh, I remember he said, okay, it, it's going through, you'll own the name. And I have, I love to show this off. This is like something I love to show off. And the certificate. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> right there with the golden seal and everything. So I love to show it, off. You should have got it in the font. You should have got it in the yeah. logo. Yeah. Yeah. I, but there it is. So, you know, I got that now. Uh, so that's literally what it was. It's like I got threatened and I was like, you know, I'm tired of this guy threatening me all my fucking life. Both of these bozos threatening me. I'm going to go about, you know, the right way and do it. And that's what I did. I went and got my lawyer and I got the United States of America seal approval massacre right here. My name and uh, it's my trademark. And that's literally why I came back to it, because I was like, you know what? I'm tired of being bullied by these fucking cunts. I'm really fucking tired of these cunts bullying me all my life. Fuck you. I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to go and do it the legal way and then give you the big finger. And that's exactly, you know, I mean, that's not what I'm trying to. It's not my reason behind massacre, but that's the truth behind nice. how I got the name. Spite can be a hell of a motiva motivator, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you did when you brought it back, you did like, like I mentioned before, the 2021 album Resurgence. And is that your first record? Is, is this version of Massacre? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, you know, Rick was in the band for a while. Right. And it got, you know, typical shit happened, you know, the typical Frederick stuff. And uh, he quit. And then we got a couple other guys to come in because we had shows. We actually literally had shows booked and, and stuff like that, <laughs> tours booked. And, and Rick kind of, you know, pulled the, the rug out from under us. He wanted to basically scorch earth, crash and burn it. You know, he figured if I'm not in it is going to is going to fail. Uh, you got to love narcissism. But, you know, uh, so we got two other guys to come in and, you know, replace replace the other two guys. And and uh, these two new guys come in and, you know, they were, you know, I didn't really know them. They were, you know, suggested, hey, try these guys out. So we get these two new guys to come in and these two new guys come in and they're worse than the two other ones we already had. They come in and they're like, it's literally their session guys. They come in and they think all of a sudden they are going to take over the band. That, that literally was their mindset. And I'm like, well, the, the biggest surprise to me was they came up and they said, oh, we already wrote the album. And I was like, what? Yeah, literally they come up. Oh, we wrote the album. We just wrote it this weekend. We wrote the whole thing. So I was like, no, man, it doesn't work that way. And the guy got really bent out of shape. You know, Jeremiah, he completely got bent out of shape because I said one word and I realized that certain people can't stand this word. They can't handle this word. They don't know how to handle this word. I love this word. No, <laughs> no is a complete sentence. There is no more explanation. When I say no, it means no, there's no. But the thing is, the guy tried to argue with it. He, he like he couldn't. I could see him just his anus was flinching when I said no. And I said, you know, no, it stops. There's no more discussion. And he kept trying to talk more. And I said, no, no is no. He got upset and he quit. And the thing is, that's the new band, the clone band that's out there now. 
So mm. you got a band that's out there doing garbage because that's all the songs, the garbage that I threw out. But I said, no, that's garbage. So you got the band out there doing the garbage and you got the other cover band. So <laughs> there you go. I'm not going to say any more about anything else. There you go. You got a band doing garbage and you got a band doing covers. That's pretty much enough. I'm fucking putting out new music that just came out. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, about that new music that came out, you just you just released the Mythos uh, EP. Uh, four songs were these four songs recorded at the same time as the Resurgence material? Yes, they were. Uh, I knew when uh, because what I, I worked with Johnny and I worked with Roga before. I've worked with Roga for many years, and I worked with Johnny. Both of those guys were great. I knew what they could bring. I love Swedish death metal anyways. I love that style. So uh, I asked them to come in because I knew they were going to be the guys that were going to bring a proper massacre album out. They were going to be the ones to do it. And they were really, and they, I've still talked to them and they were really like open of what to do. They were like, look, we want it to be, you know, massacre. We don't want it to be a Swedish death metal band. We want it to sound like massacre. And we had a lot of discussions, a lot of open uh, discussions of how it should be and what it should be. And, and uh, I told him, I said, I love Swedish death metal. So don't feel that you have to like completely mimic American death metal. I said, you can throw in a little bit of that Swedish flair in it. As long as, as long as it still has that, um, that feel of old school death metal, as long as it kind of feels like it just came off. If, if you can almost say, yeah, wow, it sounds like it's something that came out, should have came out in the nineties. That's really what we were pushing for. And uh, so the mythos stuff, they were the songs that I, all of the stuff should have was written during resurgence, but I picked those songs because I was like, wow, these are really powerful songs. These are really strong songs. Actually, the, the mythos that Lovecraft built was originally supposed to be on resurgence. And I said, I don't know. I don't want to have a, have a three song EP. So I ended up pulling that song off because I really felt that that song could literally almost be a, uh, a title track, which okay. is kind of almost is. Right. Um, so, so basically the, so these, this EP is not just uh, the B sides from right. the right. record. All right. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's really like I pulled the strongest songs um, that I felt were re that really impactful that, you know, they made an impact. And I how I looked at it really wasn't about going back and looking at it in human condition. How I looked at it, I go all the way back to Slayer, because I remember when Slayer Show No Mercy came out, it was mind blowing. But what even was better was Haunting the Chapel. When Haunting the Chapel came out, it was like 10 steps higher than Show No Mercy. It was like, wow. You know, this is like um, blew my mind when Haunting the Chapel came out. So I was kind of like thinking, I want the equivalent of Haunting the Chapel. I want the massacre equivalent of Haunting the Chapel. What could we come out with? What could we hold off and bring out that's going to hit that hard and be that fast and be that heavy? And that's what we picked. Those songs were the ones that kind of like me and Mike basically were the ones that sat down and said, okay, which ones work and which ones don't, which ones yeah. work as the album. And we tried to take resurgence and kind of mirror from beyond. If you kind of like sit down and put uh, from beyond on and then put resurgence on, you can kind of almost hear how, how dawn of eternity mirrors Eldritch prophecy. You can kind of hear how cryptic realms mirrors ruins of Rayleigh. You can kind of like put all these songs together almost next side to side and kind of listen and say, oh, I can hear that little bit of influence. And it's, that's how we did it. 
Does that con- I, 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 maybe you just set up? But does that continue with uh, with mythos and, and human condition? Is it not similar really. that way? Not, no, not, I, not really. Because in human condition, originally uh, was just in human condition and uh, Warhead. Um, the other right. two songs that ended up on in human condition, which was uh, provoked a cursor. That was a that was a song that was recorded during From Beyond, and Planes of Insanity was was also an older song that was just thrown gotcha. on in, into human condition. Um, so it doesn't really mirror it in a way, but I still wanted to have, uh, you know, that kind of, I guess you say four songs, you know, because, you know, the original EP had four songs. This one has four songs, but I do think that these songs are a lot stronger than the inhuman condition songs. Gotcha. Well, one of these songs uh, has uh, Anders Odin of cadaver on it. And I noticed that you were also on their last album. So yes, you obviously have a, have a friendship relationship with these guys, how far back does that go? When did you get to know the cadaver guys? Uh, years, years and years. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking. So we, Anders and I have a joke. Now we're, we're in our fifties and we had a joke going for the longest time. Even when he was back before he joined Satyricon, when he was playing, he played for, he played in Celtic Frost for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a joke going back when he was playing in Celtic Frost. And we used to say, I used to meet him and say, Hey man, we got to do something. And he used to look at me and go, yeah, we will one day when we're 50. And now we're in our fifties and it's happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. And it's, it's, I mean, did you ever imagine you'd still be doing death metal in your fifties? Like like really? I mean, not at all. Not at all. I actually, I I was going to be retired by now, you know, sitting on a beach, you know, like, uh, you know, (laughs) I mean, I can still sit on the beach, but I'm not retired. (laughs) Well, um, just out of curiosity, then, what, what do you think the like the greatest thing that you've gotten out of death metal is? I think the greatest thing that I've gotten is literally to is the is the friends that I have that I still have and retain all these years. David Ingram, um, you know, for Benediction, great friend of mine, great supporter of mine, you know, Roga Johansson. I literally have still to this day never face-to-face met Rogo Johansson, but I've been, I've been in so many bands with him for all these years, recording projects and bands with him, but all the really down to earth, cool people. And it's not just metal. Uh, like I said, I'm a big horror fan. So all the people that I've met that are in the metal and horror and punk uh, that we have been friends for many, many years and still stay friends for many years. Um, I guess the people that get me and I get them, you know, that's the biggest thing that I've gotten out of this is, is there's lifetime relationships, but then there's also lifetime enemies. I'm not going to lie. You know, I've you got seem lifetime to have en- a few, I'd say you seem to have. Yeah. yeah. And I've tried, I've, I've tried. I've, if, if, if there's one thing, I, you know, they might hate me and I, I, you know, fine. It's sad that they do. Um, it's sad that, you know, Frederick hates me. It'd be really cool for the fans if, if we could just get along and put something out. I mean, it would have been nice. You know, I don't, you know, uh, I, you know, if he was on fire in front of me, I wouldn't piss on him, but still, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, mean, I just say it doesn't, doesn't sound like there's much love lost. So, I, no. <laughs> well, for, for you, I mean, there's, what, what's the most absurd, uh, Cam Lee rumor that you've heard? I was doing gay porn. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
That's funny. Yeah. I wasn't expecting yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's probably that's probably the most absurd one. You know, uh, I, um, I don't know. I mean, the most absurd stuff that people still keep holding on to is like that. I hate Chuck. I don't hate Chuck. First off, Chuck's dead and he's been right. dead for right. 25 years. I don't hate Chuck. I hate the lying uh, that got created. I hate the post-mortem fame that Chuck got because it's not fair. Had Chuck been getting, had Chuck got the fame and the support that he does now after his death, before he died, had he gotten support and, and from fans all over while he was still alive, while he was sick, maybe, just maybe, he could have afforded to get the surgery and he could be alive today. That's what irritates me. It's like you took this guy after his death and you kind of like made this post-martyred messiah out of a guy and and he didn't even get to see this this fame. He didn't get to share this. He didn't get to enjoy this. That's to me is really sad. It's also disgusting that people exploit it. It's, I, I, I can't believe that there's the cover band now that's out there exploiting it. It's like, how much more can you dig from this guy? You talk about me. Sure. I said things when we were teenagers. I made jokes and he kicked me out of the band. We were teenagers. I made jokes, teenage jokes, stupid stuff. But now it's disgusting when I see people exploiting his legacy. It's just, it's sad to me. It's sad, but it happens. And it happens not just with me. I mean, just not just Chuck. I see it happen all the time. I mean, in the seventies, the Bruce Ploitation thing, I'm a big (laughs) Bruce Lee fan. So I remember in the seventies, all these fake Bruce Lee's were coming out. Bruce Lai, Bruce Lee, Dragon Lee, and all this stuff. It's like, (laughs) fuck, how much can you exploit a dead guy? But it's happening again. It happened. It's happening in death metal with Chuck. It's like, he's like the Bruce Lee of, of death metal. <laughs> and with all this, like, you know, fake, you know, Oh, we're doing tribute stuff that I see. I read the thing with Beth, his sister said, Oh, they did the tribute stuff. And his sister was like, but nobody ever gave us any money. All the money that was raised, supposedly raised. They never got it. That the, the, the foundation never got it. It was like, it was all bullshit. That's it's the saddest fucking thing. Yeah. That sucks. I didn't, I didn't even hear that one. Yeah. I, I mean, that. there's yeah. an interview somewhere online that she says that, that she goes, she talks about all of that. Like they got ripped off and then nobody ever gave them money. All the money that was raised went into somebody's <laughs> pocket, bought somebody's Jesus. Lamborghini. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you buy Lamborghinis off of death metal? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, death stuff. I'm sure you can. Yeah. I'm that's sure that's why Relapse yeah. keeps re-releasing every single album every year. There's a new re-release, Relapse, <laughs> slapping another album out, you know? <laughs> well, speaking of labels, you're you're with Nuclear Blast right now, yeah. right? Is that yeah. is were these last two records or the, the record, the album and the EP, the first that you've worked with Nuclear Blast? Yeah, first time I worked with Nuclear Blast. And, and I'm happy. I'm happy with Nuclear Blast. I actually, it's one of the very first times I'm really happy with the label. Um so, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's always going to have like some, you know, argument about the label or they're going to feel like, oh, I feel like the label should be doing better for me. But literally Nuclear Blast has been good and I'm not kissing their ass. You know, I could right. give a fucking rat's ass if people like me or not. So and I'm not kissing their ass. I'm just telling the truth, you know, but no, Nuclear Blast has been really good to us. I mean, really good. Awesome. Well, you I know you recently did. Did you recently play Death Fest, Maryland Death Fest? Yes. Yes, we did. Yeah. How was that? That was good. It was great. I liked it. 
I know some people got mad, but I mean, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It was really mad about. I don't know. I heard I, I, you you know, (laughs) I, I, I I saw something like uh, some, some negative comments after we played, you know, it was like, I'm always, you know, I, somebody loves to always send me the negative comments. I, that's one thing. I always got somebody, Hey man, did you see what this guy said? I'm like, thanks, man. I was having a good day. You know, thanks a lot. (laughs) I'm one of those guys that I, I can have a, 500 posts telling me, man, you're great. You're awesome. And I read that one fucking dickhead post that says you suck. And I'm like, man, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, uh, that happens to me every time. I mean, I know I shouldn't let it bother me, but and, and I, it, I don't really yeah. care in the long run, but it's like, well, why does this guy think I suck now? What, what, what is it? And then I always find out later because they're trying to appease one of the, the other members. That's always what it is. It's like, oh, you're on social media and you're just hoping that that guy will see you cussing me out. So I don't know. So you can go smoke a joint with that guy after the show when he comes and plays your town. I get it. I get it now. <laughs> that sounds like a shitty plan. But yeah, <laughs> but speaking of uh, playing playing towns, I was asking about Death Fest because I don't know. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but is Massacre doing or planning to do any type of touring? Yeah, well, actually, we're touring uh, this September. Um, we were supposed to be in California this this weekend, and that that I don't know if you heard about it, but we were we were literally supposed to be uh, the Fourth of July weekend for this EP. We were supposed to be in California the day of our flight our flights got canceled Hmm. thanks to the airlines and we didn't even know we were just checking. We're getting ready to check in and we're like, Holy fuck, our flights are canceled. And, uh, uh, we, you know, we called the the promoter. We're like trying to get with the promoter, trying to find on new flights. And then they were like, Oh yeah, you can get new flights today for a thousand dollars each. And we're like, yeah, fuck you. Uh, so we had to postpone the shows. We had to actually like, uh, you know, you know, get with the promoter and kind of like do this. It was 12 hours of just hell trying to like figure out what to do. And then finally we just decided, Hey man, we can't make it. We're not well, going to make should, it. You should have told him that, uh, that because I just found this out that you are the, the band from stranger things now. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's that? How do, what's, what's massacre doing in stranger things? Just, uh, just on the wall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, some fan of ours was, is, was, I didn't find out till like a fan of ours said, Hey man, I was watching stranger things and check this out. And he, they send the, they send the little post. And then, uh, of course the first, the first one was really blurry. I couldn't really make it out, but then my, my, uh, guitar player now, Tony, he got, he went to his friend's house and he got a big screen TV and he got a, you know, <laughs> HD, you know, camera and he films it and he stops it right on that scene and sure enough, it's a it's a massacre flyer on on the guy's wall. And uh, I was like, this is really cool. Somebody in the Stranger Things sets is 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 a real fan of this stuff because not even two seconds after that, you know, I'll, I'll mention this. They scan over to the guy, and just below his guitar is a nasty savage flyer. So there's yeah, there's definitely a fan of of the the old Maybe a local. Florida yeah yeah the Florida <laughs> death metal scene. Uh, that was that was on the set there, you know, setting up that set there. So that's pretty that's cool. That is cool. I, I always I always wonder that when I see, and I always get excited when I see a band reference or something on the wall behind, you know, even when it's just passing yeah. by. You know, you know how we're nerds like yeah. that. You know, that's yeah. that shit's cool. So it's I just very watched, cool. I just watched Metal Metal Lords, and you know, there's a scene where the, in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a scene in the beginning where the kid opens up his locker 
you know, and there's a fucking death sticker right inside the locker. So oh, I'm like, nice. oh, that's really fucking cool, man. <laughs> you know, it's like it's cool seeing that stuff now because, you know, being a part of it, it's like part of history, um, you know, and it's cool. That it's I mean, Stranger Things is like the biggest show in the fucking world. So right. it's cool that, you know, there's a massacre flyer in the Stranger Things show. You know, I mean, it's 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 now it's there. It's ever it's forever. It's history. You know, it's right. like it's right. there. Yeah. It's staple. A hundred years from now, somebody's gonna pull up the fucking Stranger Things show, and there's that fucking massacre flyer. Yep. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, you just put out the LP, the the EP. You're doing some touring. Is that what's next for Massacre? Because if you're putting out another album, that'd be pretty damn. That'd be a lot of material in a short amount of time. So what's what's in the near future? for massacre uh, we're all well, first off we're always putting out new stuff um if you go to our Bandcamp page we have a lot of self-releases we do a lot of self-release mm-hmm. singles not just the stuff that we do through nuclear blast but we do a lot of self-release singles um uh we did uh, you know actually i'll show you a couple of one um this one here is uh mm-hmm. ancient evil well you can't really see it because of light yeah i can see it uh, yeah. yeah we did this one um we did the halloween song last halloween you know, oh, we're, nice. so we're always constantly releasing stuff that's not even on Nuclear Blast. That's kind of like on our own label. And we, we usually sell it at shows or we, you know, we have a links on, on Bandcamp that we sell because Bandcamp is kind of like what we use as our, right. our main site. Because I was like, why have, uh, why have our own, you know, web page and then have a Bandcamp page and have a Facebook mm-hmm. page? I'm like, ah, fuck that, man. Just put it on Bandcamp. Let fucking people find it. Um, you know, fuck all these, you know, trying to be rock stars and have our own special page, you know, fuck that stupid shit. That's extra money that I, you know, I could buy a sandwich with <laughs> Fuck that. So, um, uh, so we do a lot of stuff. We're always working and, and, you know, writing stuff and working on releasing stuff right now. We have the tour coming up in September. So we're going over to Europe in September and then right now, the lineup that I have now, two of the guys are in a band called Druid Lord. Um, so we'll go in September. They come, we come back and then they go over to Europe and their band Druid Lord and in uh, November. <laughs> then while they're over there, I'm going to be working with the guitar player now that we have and, and start working on some new stuff. But we're also setting up tours for early 2023. We're trying to, I just talked to uh, Bullet Belt down in New Zealand. So I'm trying to get us down to New Zealand and, and Australia, you know, sometime in, in the beginning of the year. So I don't really think other than the California shows that we have to, we had to postpone. I don't think I'll be playing any more U.S. Uh, shows for a while, at least yeah. for the year. Um, I'm going to concentrate really on Europe, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Japan, China. I'm going to concentrate on that side of the world uh, this co- upcoming year.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Cam. And the song you just heard from Mythos was the Mythos that Lovecraft built. Available everywhere right now. Nuclear Blast Records, physical and digital, and every format that I can think of. Available now, everywhere. Worldwide, worldwide, worldwide. Anyway, okay, moving on. Uh, I should say I, I want to thank Cam for taking the time to have a conversation. A true legend of the death metal scene. So a uh, big thanks to him for his time and for his contributions as well. Speaking of contributions, have you done your contribution to society and mostly to me and gone to gettingitout.net yet? You should have. In fact, I think I'm going to give you a good reason to because this week I'm going to put up the list that Rick Shirk contributed, which is 10 underrated death metal records from the 2000s, the decade of the 2000s. It's a cool list. It's stuff that I was almost totally unaware of. So hopefully you will go there this week, check it out, and find some stuff that you missed too. Uh, That's the whole point of those things. If you haven't been to gettingitout.net, I highly suggest you go there. If you like any of the bands that you heard, whether that's Castrator, whether that's Massacre, or whether that's the band I'm going to close this out with, Erroneous, they all have band pages there. You can check it out, find all their information, all their links, all their streaming services are all available at gettingitout.net. Go check it out. Um, But yeah, that's going to be it for this one. If you uh, need uh, help replacing your serpentine belt, I got you covered there too. That's it. This last song is going to be Nickel 2 from Erroneous, as I mentioned. It's off of their new album, Urkala. I'm saying all this stuff wrong, but I'm doing the best I can. Would you believe it? They're from Green Bay, Wisconsin. With these words, the way they're saying stuff, I don't think it. it sounds like they're from another planet. I don't know. I thought I had a good joke there. Didn't work out. Anyway... Check out the song. It's coming out on August 12th on Urkala through the Artisan Era. The song, again, Neggle 2, or Neggle, ne- it's whatever. It's erroneous. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.